All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 289 points, or nine-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 36 points, or nine-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 154 points, or 1.3%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.9%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 8.6%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 16.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. One-third of the well, year is over. One-third of the year is over. Yes. Well, and, and before we jump into it, I just wanted to say the, the original Money Wise crew is back for this mm-hmm. weekend show. Dad's fired up. He's as loose as ever. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have the fire extinguisher ready in case we need to put him out from some of the conversations yeah. we're having before we recorded this we, weekend's we, program. Yeah, so he's we, he's we have an extra large extra large fire extinguishers on hand uh, for for this weekend's money wash show. Back by much popular, popular demand. Yet. I can't tell you how many how many of our clients say when. Is your dad really? going to be back on the radio? And so, well, here I'm, he is. I'm all, I listen to the radio show every week. I, I think you all have been doing an excellent job with a subject that's, you know, as I said the last time I was on, is just extremely perplexing, very perplexing. I've never seen a market like this. Uh, I mean, if you look at stocks, the volume that you talk about, Kyle, is getting less. I mean, it's less every day. We've had a terrible month of April as far as volume, which means that the only people participating in the market, as Jeff would say, are renters. We don't have investors. We have people that are going in and out of the market. And I just went back and pulled out some stocks from the FANG names and looked at their earnings. And if I could take the names off, there wouldn't be anybody in the world that would be wanting to buy some of these stocks well, why because their earnings that? look so bad. Yeah. Why don't we you just, want me to read some yeah, of these? Just, just, no, right here, just do one. Just do the one of the biggest violators of all, 
Well, don't, it's, it's, don't it's, give it's, our list. Don't give our listeners. I'm the not telling who it is. Just read okay. the statistics and the relative strength, which a hundred is the best and zero yes. is the worst. All right, and just and then over we'll the last year, year over year, earnings in this company down thirty two, down forty nine, down fifty two. Latest just came out this week, down nineteen. Now listen to their sales: negative one, negative four, negative four, positive three. So they've had no sales growth for the year. For 12 months, they have a relative strength of 98, which means they are outperforming 98% of the stocks in the investment world. And what's the name of this company? Stock has gone from 118 at the low to 237 this year. Meta. The Formerly known as Mark, Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Crazy <laughs> Mark, Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg. Now, let me read you a stock that's close to the Corpus Christi. <laughs> let me read you some numbers on this one. Earnings for the last year, up 88, up 114, up 100, up 106. Sales, up 37% for the quarter, 39, 31, 33. Relative strength of this dog company is in the lower third of the market, unlike Meta, 32. It's that unknown company known as Halliburton. And what's its PE? What's the PE? PE is thirteen. I love the PE on Amazon currently at two thirty one. No, or Meta. Meta. What's Meta? Oh, Meta's Meta's a oh a very investable thirty three or three times Halliburton's. Now I I know I hate to put you on the spot. Do you know what Halliburton is up or down this year? Yeah, stock's gone from, well, I think it's gone from the low of 23 to 33, so it's up, but it's down from the 40s. Well, I mean, oil, a relative oil. strength of 32, a relative strength of 30, and, and, and of course, the other dog that's known as Cat, again, oh, relative Caterpillar. strength of 48, okay. and its earnings were up 70% this week on sales increase of 70. It's got a PE of 13, that okay. dog Caterpillar. Just to, just to go back and correct you. And we don't own either one of those, by the way. Halliburton is down 13% year to date. Oh, okay. I, I, I was just going high to low. But I'm, saying, but I, I, you, yeah. I'm just saying, let's go back. All those numbers, most of them had 100% plus uh, profit growth, Is it, in, in, if I remember what you said. 88, 114, 100, and 106. Right. It's in the bottom third of the market. Yes. Got a PE of 13. Yes. And it's down 13% this year. Yes. Yeah. Well, but oil, the whole whole entire oil complex has had, uh, you know, a bunch of profit taking so far this year. But from a from a uh, price earnings multiple, they're extremely great values. And we are slightly overweighted in oil in our individual stock and bond portfolios and, and the names that we own. And so we are slightly overweighted versus the S&P 500, but the entire industrial group has had a lot of profit taking this year. And when we get into earnings, and we'll probably get to that in the second segment of this weekend show, I have some, uh, some EPS and some earnings statistics for the oil and energy industry, which will be a big shocker to have these kind of numbers like you just read right. and be down negative as a industrial group year to date so the point as an investor yeah the point that dad's trying to make here is if you were to just take the names off and read these numbers and say which stock would i rather invest in the one that's had these four amazing quarters and 
back to back to back to back of of earnings growth and a 13 PE that's like half, you know, 50% below the market, if not more, versus read the other statistics about this company that's got down, 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 down sales. And but yet that stock has doubled this year, and the other one that's had all these great sales numbers is down this year. You know, that that's that's the perplexing part of the market. Yes. And so let's hold right there, take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And, and again, on the last segment, just talking about you know, Meta in particular, this said horrible sales numbers. It's had horrible earnings per share growth. In fact, negative um, for extended numbers of quarters, but is knocking the cover off the ball. And you look at some of these great valued companies with great sales numbers, great earnings per share growth, and they can't even catch a bid or catch a, any buyers at all. And that's particularly in the energy industry, which had a great year last year. Is the leading is really one of the leading industrial sectors last year for 2022. And then we saw this profit taking. But what we talked about at the beginning of the show, and and I mentioned this on last weekend's show for the month of April, how eerily low volume is, and and that's really laid at the feet of the traders, the renters of stocks, and the algorithms, the long-term money managers like us here at Davidson Capital Management and other long-term money managers are, for for all intents and purposes, based on volume, is kind of sitting off on the sidelines. And I think, Jeff and Dad, this is what leads the market to being trapped in this tight trading range. Until we get longer-term investors in, I think we're going to continue to be stuck in this trading range in the S&P 500. And one other statistic in an, an article I read this past week, because all this year we've seen the run-up in the value of these growth names. Like, you know, Meta, I think, was considered more of a value name at the end of 2022 because it got completely shellacked by investors. But if you look at artificial intelligence, this AI space, and any tech company that's involved with anything having to do with artificial intelligence have had just absolute meteoric runs, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's NVIDIA. If you strip these companies out, if you strip these companies out of the market for this year that have been have a, a hand in artificial intelligence, the S&P 500 would be up less than 2% year-to-date. That's how much a handful of these tech companies have driven the market's performance year-to-date. And on top of that low volume, a bunch of renters of stocks, not long-term owners of stocks, they're pretty much patient and sitting back on the sidelines, pretty much what we've been doing for most of this year. And you're getting paid 
at four and a half percent in money markets, right. you're not getting. I mean, that's a pretty good. You're getting paid for, to be patient for this century. For this century, that's not too bad. That's and, not too bad. And just to be clear, you know, we def- patience in terms of asset allocations for us is lower than historic asset allocations to stocks, but not zero. Correct. And and never two, zero. And two high, you know, higher than historic asset allocations to higher yielding money market funds because of what you know, Dad just said, how much you know how much money we're getting in terms of yield, uh, just being in in money markets in this environment. Uh, it, and we're not the only ones. Just looking no. at volume. Well, that's, it, that's a lot of people are doing it. Volume tells Volume us. Tells you. That's yeah. why I talk about it on this program because it's important. I start seeing, we start seeing spikes, consistent buying spikes above the daily moving average. That tells us that more longer-term money managers, longer-term investors are starting to come in and participate. And I think once we see that, that's when the S&P 500 can break above the 4195 resistance level. That's 4,195 points on the S&P 500 to break above that resistance level. But what's been sh- what's what's shown to me, looking at the technicals, not getting too deep in the technical weeds, is that the 50-day moving average for the S&P 500 is the support level, and it has been for the entire month of April. And that tells you the machines are sitting at that number, and the minute the market gets close to that number, the machines come in and buy that's right. It's not for, it's not human hands doing that. I mean, that's what for I mean, for now. right now. Yeah, I mean, one of these days they may not, but that's what's been going on. And, and, and now and look at Wednesday. We're look at Wednesday. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're now in the month of May. It's you know, go away, and we've got the summer coming, and now we've got this political fight for the debt ceiling. Here we go again. None oh, of us man. think we're going to see August of what was the month this happened for? Twenty eleven. It was 2011. It was 2011. It was, it was later in the year in 2011. It was August. I think it was more it was August. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, because the fiscal year is set, you know, October 1st, but I don't know why it comes up this summer. But, you know, now we've got these two fraternities that want to fight it out again. <laughs> and we've got the whole situation where both parties are paralyzed because of the people that want to run for president. You've got a guy, 70% of the country says, don't run. And you got another that hates the, the leader. They don't want him as their president, and yet it appears that you know Donald Trump is the preemptive favorite. And here's Joe Biden over here needing cheat sheets to even know who to call on to ask the question that he's already got the answer to. Well, and the cheat yesterday, yesterday, he's there. A, a, a ten-year-old has to answer a question that he can't. Like, well, what country were you in? last mr president and he can't remember he was in ireland last week but this 10 year old knows the answer to that this is the man that's got the football that's dealing with the nuclear codes while we're sitting in ukraine and we're not negotiating i mean geopolitical risk this is not geopolitical risk this is geopolitical craziness and that's that's the other problem going on here how can an investor be confident in this and yet you have two of the most disliked candidates appear to be running for president. I saw Unless, a cartoon that it says the race starts. They show Biden in a wheelchair, and they show they show uh, Trump like Hannibal Lecter with the mask on a handcart <laughs> with a guy behind him, and they're at the start the line. <laughs> so it's it's Hannibal Lecter against the old man in a wheelchair. 
<laughs> I mean, well, this that, is a political cartoon I saw today, on, you know, on the internet. Well, and I think it's true. Right. It sums it up well. It, it absolutely sums it up well. Yeah, Jeff. But is any of that really being paid attention to on Wall Street at this moment in time? No. Well, remember, 99% of these people gave money to Joe Biden. The most exactly. in the history most this is who they wanted the industrial military complex got what they wanted now they got him they don't know how to get rid of him but see gridlock in washington has always been good for washington and so i mean, mean for, wall for wall street excuse me for wall street gridlock in washington's yeah, good for yeah. wall street and so after the midterms last november with the gop taking control of the house not taking control of the senate this is ultimate gridlock and then you have a completely inept leader and Joe Biden, who him and his cabinet are the most inept people I, I, I have ever seen. Well, here's hey, what Susan I, Rice. I, Susan Rice left this week. Yeah, and now so, she's leaving. So Wall Street. Ron Klain has already left. I mean, these people are leaving because they don't think he's going to get reelected. So Wall Street likes gridlock, but I don't think Wall Street likes chaos. They and, don't like chaos. And no. if we if we get closer to this kind of level of silliness we had in in 2011 with the debt ceiling then we're going to get you know we're going to get into a chaos situation we're going to have we're going to have these up up and down three four five hundred point days like we had in 2011 um we're going to have it we're going to have it here at our doorstep again so you know, next, I feel- week, next week we haven't even covered your favorite subject yet dad the FOMC <laughs> meeting on Wednesday next week. Well, we know, we know that right? his, his facial expression just changed when I – 25 basis points next week. I, I think you okay. need to read what the uh, what the Fed said about the problem in Silicon Valley Bank. I think you should read that on the air, what came so, out this afternoon, Friday so, afternoon. So before we get to that, this this you, came out you know, really, really earlier on <laughs> – let's see. It came out – uh, uh, 11 o'clock Eastern. So it was not long after the markets opened this morning on, on Friday morning that this article came out covering you know, the, the Fed's first uh, report about what happened at the uh, at Silicon Valley Bank's failure. Now, mind you that this is all going on in a background here over the last, well, really this week, that First Republic Bank appears that it's going to be the next bank to fail and will most likely have failed sometime the weekend that this show broadcasts. It'll probably be announced before the Fed, the futures markets open. And I think it's five o'clock central time Sunday afternoon. They will have announced before then that this bank <clears throat> is now under FDIC receivership. So it'll be the third bank to fail. Now they've been talking about this all week and the market really hasn't had much reaction to it. Now, We'll see if the market doesn't have much reaction to it on Monday if my prediction comes true. And when we come back from the break, I want to read what the Federal Reserve's report says about what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. Okay, we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we were talking about the article that the Federal Reserve, was it the Federal Reserve that put out this article uh, Friday morning about 10 a.m. Central Time? It's the it's a report from the Fed's top bank supervisor, Michael S. Barr. So we've all been we, we've been wondering, though I think we all pretty much had an idea of what was what truly happened at Silicon Valley Bank, and this was the first really confirmation of some of the things that we were already suspicious about. And so I'm going to just kind of read this article verbatim as as it was published. And it, 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 it goes, Silicon Valley Bank's dramatic failure in early March was the product of mismanagement and supervisory failures compounded by a dose of social media frenzy. Michael S. Barr, the Fed's vice chair for supervision, appointed by President Joe Biden, said that an exhaustive probe of the March 10th collapse of Silicon Valley Bank that a myriad of factors coalesced to bring down what had been the nation's 17th largest bank. Among them were bank executives who committed quote-unquote textbook failures in managing interest rate risks. Fed regulators <laughs> who failed to understand the depth of SBBs as the Silicon Valley Bank's problems and then were too slow to react and a social media frenzy that may have accelerated the institution's demise, meaning let's get on Twitter, let's get on Facebook, Instagram, and and Instagram, and let's start posting, pull your money out of this bank as fast as you can. Quote, following Silicon Valley Bank's failure, we must strengthen the Federal Reserve supervision and regulation based on what we have learned, end quote, Barr said. Quote, as risks in the financial system continue to evolve, we need to continuously evaluate our supervisory and regulatory framework and be humble about our ability to assess and identify new and emerging risks, end quote. So, so here's my quick question. How can the Fed regulate social media and people posting, get your money out? Is it going to be misinformation? We're going to have Zuckerberg? Let me let me continue. Okay. <laughs> this in isn't a, the opening segment of Starting Night Live, is it? In a stunning move that Because it sounds like one of the opening segments of Starting Night Live. This is so silly. In a stunning move that continues to, ver- to reverberate across the banking system and through financial markets, regulators shut down Silicon Valley Bank following a run on its deposits triggered by liquidity concerns. Mm-hmm. To meet the capital requirements, the bank was forced to sell long-dated treasury notes at a loss incurred as rising interest rates ate into into their principal value. Now, Barr noted 
that Silicon Valley Bank's deposit run was exacerbated by fear spread on social media outlets that the bank was in trouble, combined with the ease of withdrawing deposits in the digital age. The phenomenon is something that regulators need to note for the future. Quote, the combination of social media, a highly networked and concentrated depositor base, which we know we talked about previously. A lot of tech companies. And technology may have fundamentally changed the speed of bank runs. Social media enabled depositors to instantly spread concerns about a bank run and technology enabled immediate withdrawals of funding. He used a broad brush in discussing the Fed's failures, not mentioning San Francisco Federal Reserve President Mary Daly, whose jurisdiction was Silicon Valley Bank. Senior Fed officials speaking on condition of anonymity said regional presidents aren't generally responsible for direct supervision of the banks in their districts. Okay. Then who is Jeff? Jeff, real quick <laughs> question. Chief speeches. Yeah. Who's 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 overseeing First Republic? I believe they're based out of San Francisco. Are they not? I would have to look it up real quick, but it seems that the, the answer I believe is yes. It seems that the concentration <laughs> so far <laughs> her bank failures have been West Coast banks and East Coast banks, right? Hmm. Sounds been, like a Beach Boys. Sounds yeah. like a Beach Boys song. And, and, and the East and West Coast have some of the finest run cities yeah. in but, this yes. country. But let me clarify: it was Northeast. One of the banks, I think, it was Signature Bank, was based out of New York. Yes, um, if, and if I'm not mistaken, and then and then SPB was was California, California, and, San Jose area, and I believe, as you said, First, First Republic. Republic's out of San Francisco. Right. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, Interesting. They run their banks just like they run their cities. Woke and broke. But so you don't like my thing. my comment here's, that it was like a Beach Boys song. The way the West Coast okay. bankers get so tan, yeah. and, the, and the Eastern bankers, you know, with their boyfriends at night. You know, I mean, there you go. I, I, it sounds like it sounds like a Beach Boys song. So here, here's a, here's a, just a question. Just to I'll throw it out there for discussion. Who's to say that someone overseas with nefarious intentions? Couldn't start something in the social media universe that could cause the kind of bank run that brought down this bank. Now, granted, there was already mismanagement occurring, and granted, their portfolio was not allocated properly. We all know this. Not managed, not managed properly, for sure. <laughs> but could somebody with, with nefarious intentions start some kind of social media campaign and, and, and pull out, you know, big money center bank, you know, and, and start to create some rumor? I mean, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it's 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 all possible, but then there you go. Then you start regulating. I mean, they're already regulating social media on misinformation. So where's Zuckerberg? Are they going to pull Zuckerberg because he's in control of Meta and Facebook and Instagram? But let me give. Well, they worked with me, him. They worked with him on the Trump campaign. They sure did. So, but but let me give the bottom line advice to everyone that's listening to this show. I don't care what bank it is or credit union it is, if you have more than $250,000 in any one bank or credit union, you are putting yourself at risk. 
So Period. the country is not going to bail you out no, like we bailed right. out that one bank. Because yeah. we can't. I'm just There's not war- enough I'm money. just warning everybody that 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 may have very little money in the stock market, pulled out a year ago, two years ago, pulled out during COVID, been sitting at the bank. If you've got more than $250,000 in any single bank, you've been warned. That's all I can say. Now, yeah. I, I would like to make a little comment real quick about people that have money in CDs in banks. I've been seeing some prospects here recently that have had substantial amounts of money in various banks or credit unions that are, you know, that are uh, rolling one year or six month CDs, and they're getting horrible yields. Horrible. Now, I don't know what it's going to take for the banks to decide. Maybe we ought to raise our deposit rates a little bit and maybe keep some of this money here. Or there's just going to continue to be money leaving these banks. I mean, I've seen some stuff where these are you know, local institutions with, you know, like January CDs with yields uh, below 25 or below mm. 2%. Mm. Yeah, that's unacceptable. Well, Jeff, you, it's you, all about the net interest margin. That's, no, no, that's no, all these banks, banks care about. Great. I, for the banks, yeah, the banks are good. I'm talking yeah. about. I'm talking about the customers. I'm talking about don't fall asleep at the wheel. Yeah. You know, you need to be looking at your yields and don't accept, you know, sub four percent returns on your CDs. To your treasury, get you over four percent yield to maturity. Period. Yeah, don't, ex- so. don't accept that. And, and you're not held to this two hundred fifty thousand dollars in yeah. any individual institution. Now, no. and if just just and also to expand on that, now if you do have a joint account, it's two fifty per person, so total for it, half a million dollars. I, I, yeah, but it has to be a joint co- account. I get all the caveats and this, that, and the other. But ha- how about this? Just put it into banks. Yeah, cover all your. Banks. And I didn't mean. And when I said it was comical, I didn't mean it was comical funny. I meant it was comical that they come out with this statement as if we didn't know what went on. Obviously, you guys screwed up. We know this. We know you were not looking at their portfolio. We know you weren't doing supervision. And we also know because of wokeness, we're not going to call out the governor, you know, the Fed governor of San Francisco because why? Because she's a woman. That's, That's a fact, you know, and I'm trying, you know, I'm not being sexist. I'm just saying that's one of the reasons. And it's San Francisco, where Pelosi's from, where Kamala Harris is from, where the governor of California is from. It's the mafia of San Francisco that's killing that city. And here we're seeing a problem affecting our financial system. And, and the administration is not going to call these people out because, as, Jeff, as Kyle said, this is a blue state. This is a big blue city. And we're not going to see them call it out. But... You know, we're going to have bank failure number three. This isn't the financial crisis, but it continues to show that the management of the Federal Reserve, which I get mad at you guys for talking about, is not worthy of talking about like they're actually doing something because they don't do anything. They can't help you. They can only hurt you. Okay. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. 
If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise Guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from you Money Wise Guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, and just again talking about First Republic Bank, most likely. Uh, we'll find out, but high probability it's going to be going into receivership. Another California bank going uh, under, and we were talking about the the Fed governor out of the San Francisco Federal Reserve, Mary Diller, is that her name? And just, again, the failure that she's had as a supervisor. She's now had two banks fail under her watch. Um, Getting ready so. to three. Probably. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be two. It's going to be the second bank because it was SVB. Yeah, the other one was in New York. Yeah, the other one was in Signature was in New York. So East and West Coast banks failing just like their cities. And who are they being run by and under control of one particular party, uh, political party? Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting, and it's unfortunate. But but anyway, economic statistics. Yeah, because there was some important information that, that came out, and particularly I would say on Thursday when the first reading of first quarter 2023 GDP came out. So, Jeff, what was that number? So before I get to GDP, let's cover the others that came out earlier in the week. First, we had new home sales on Tuesday that actually showed an increase of 9.6%, which was above expectations the average, see, uh, I think average sales price uh, was not very, really much changed, but you know, up nine point six percent new home sales. I would, I would call that a positive for the re- for the week. Uh, durable goods rose three point two percent in the month of March, and then GDP, which is what Kyle was mentioning. On Thursday, the first reading of the first quarter 2023 GDP was announced for the market open. It showed an increase of 1.1%, and the expectations, I think, for, were for a 2% increase. Yeah. And, it, and and the it markets appeared, responded positively yeah, on Thursday. It, it appeared to trigger some pos- – you know, the, the bar, I believe the Dow was up 500 points, something like that, on, on Thursday. Yeah. Thursday. That's correct. Yes. So for a day at least, bad news was good news. And why yeah. was that bad yeah. news good news? It's but, because it's because the market, I say, the algorithms and the traders said, "Oh, if we've got GDP below expectations, then that's and all the again these bank failures. This gives Fed the cover to raise interest rates a quarter more point on Wednesday." And then be done. Take the terminal rate or the Fed fund rate between five and five and a quarter, and then let's just circle the field for the time being. And so it's going to be very interesting Wednesday to to hear what the Fed has to say because there's a high probability that First Republic will be going into receivership uh, over the weekend. So and we'll hear that on Monday. Yeah. So is that going to be is that going to be good or bad news interpreted by the market? I mean, it seems like they were ignoring the market was ignoring it on Thursday and Friday. 
I mean, well, to me, it speaks. It, it speaks that that this quarter is going to be a negative quarter, the second quarter, which means in terms of that GDP, if this quarter is a neg of GDP, which means if this quarter is down and the third quarter is down, then it means the recession began in the month of April. So we're one month into the recession, which we will not know about until the last week of October, because that'll be the first reading of third quarter. GDP. So if the Fed raises rates on Wednesday. Wednesday, another quarter point. Now we're going to be getting close to five percent in a money market in a high yield money market fund. How much of a challenge is that going to be for stocks with double, triple? The S&P 500 P.E. ratio. Dad's got his hand up. And the history of the market this century is about 7.5 or 8 on the S&P 500. What are you talking? Year over year. You're talking about performance? Used to be 10. Oh, you're talking about. Okay. And it, and it, well, it's less than 10. It, it, I think it's like 8. Let's just say 8. So you're getting 5 versus 8, taking no risk. Well, and, and, and but I do I do want to just talk real briefly about earnings because we have some updated earnings from the S&P 500 that came out on Friday. So overall, 53% of the companies of the S&P 500 have reported results for the first quarter of 2023. Of these companies, 79% have reported earnings per share growth above estimates, which is above the five-year average of 77% and above the 10-year average of 73%. In aggregate, companies are reporting earnings that are 6.9% above estimates, but that is below the five-year average of 8.4%, but it is above the 10-year average of 6.4%. Now, the index is reporting higher earnings for the first quarter today relative to the end of the previous week, and above the end of the first quarter of 2023. So earnings declined so far. This is as of Friday's close. Earnings declined for the first quarter for the S&P 500 is a negative 3.7% compared to an earnings decline of 6.3% the previous week and an earnings decline estimate of negative 67 at the end of March. I'm glad over, Kyle. Yeah, so, so over. Okay. Earnings. Can you put this in the English? Okay, so I'll put this all in English. Basically, first quarter 2023 earnings are improving. They're still negative, so we're seeing some earnings recession and the company's the S&P 500, but it's continuously improving because we saw an earnings decline of around 4.7% for the fourth quarter, of 2022, now we're projecting a negative 3.7% earnings decline for the first quarter of 2023, but it is improving. So earnings season is not as bad as been anticipated by a lot of the financial talking heads, as analysts have well, predicted, but it is still an earnings recession. Okay, but I, can I say the accountants, uh, these companies continue to do an excellent job. Oh I, I'm reminded of <laughs> I when I worked numbers. at EDS. Hey, I remember at EDS, we would things. say, 
They would call down to us in the finance department and say, we earned a dollar twenty-five this quarter, and then we'd have to work up all the numbers above to try to get to one twenty-five. And sometimes we couldn't hold it down, so they'd go out and say, well, we're increasing our earnings projections for the next quarter. So we always started with the bottom line number and then filled in all the numbers above to get to the dollar twenty-five. So I said, so they're still doing okay, that. Okay, so they still do that. So, the balance are good. Okay, so looking so looking at next week, we've got the FOMC meeting. So we've got the Federal Open Market Committee. We've got the Fed decision on Wednesday. We've got the unemployment number. So we've got a lot of data that's going to be coming out this next week and continuing with uh, first quarter earnings. We've got Apple reporting right. next week, which is going mm-hmm. to be another big tech bellwether, so stay tuned. But we are coming to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you have an investment related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the money wise program you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com if you missed the first hour of money wise you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past money wise programs You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at DavidsonCap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, it's about time. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for your politeness. Well, as we we like to use and utilize uh, the second hour of every weekend's Money Wise program, really going into investor education, and just, again, the continuing education that all investors need to be paying attention to because with the multitude of investment choices, the multitude of sales outlets, I should say, uh, to be buying different financial products, um, we feel it's our duty having a voice and having this radio show to, to continue to provide that, that education. And there is an article that we've had for some time. We've talked about it on past shows, but it's always good to to reiterate. And it's a conversation I know that I have with prospective clients when it comes to investing. Um, and the, the title of the article is The Best Investment Advice Ever. <laughs> now, there's so much different advice out there, different guidance, different forms and levels of education out there. Um, you know, looking at this article, there's a very old saying that I know we have used 
from day one in a course with us, uh, you know, being in this, having Davidson Capital Management for more than 25 years and, and again, this radio show going on now in our 10th year. Um, looking at, at rule number one for the best investment advice ever, and that first rule is never lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And I believe that uh, that was one of Warren Buffett's famous advice. And, of course, Warren Buffett being one of the richest men in the world, um, I think uh, it's good It's good words to live by. And, and when I sit down with prospective clients, the one – the one area, again, of education I like to focus on is teaching a prospective client that it's not as much how well you do on the upside when the market is going up. It's how shallow you keep your hole on the downside. It's it's whoever plays the best defense is what's really going to build long-term wealth and longevity of a portfolio. Rule This rule number one, don't you think it's kind of unrealistic to say never lose money? Well, and, and and again, investors need to keep in mind there's a difference between realized losses and unrealized losses or paper losses. Uh, maybe rule number one should should read more like never put all your eggs in one basket. Never, but put, but define never, that. Okay. Define that a little okay. bit more. Okay, eggs in one basket. Never put one hundred percent of your money in one asset class. How's that? Okay. Never put 100% of your money in stocks. Give us an asset class. Like, are Never. you talking sector specific, like all in real estate investment trusts or all in the material sector or all in technology? I think I think really the rule number one to me, and it kind of goes along the same lines as what you're talking about with keeping the hole shallow, is there's no, no such thing as never lose money. I mean, every investment – we have never had an investment decision that we've made – in the 25 years as Davidson Capital Management, every investment decision that we've made has not always made money. Some of those investment decisions have lost money. There isn't a single person on the planet that's made an investment decision that hasn't lost money at one time or the other. The the really successful people in investing never lose a lot of money. Now, keeping a that lot whole of money, shallow. keeping the whole shallow, as you were saying, and two thousand and eight is is a great example of keeping the hole the, the hole as shallow as possible because we were never a hundred percent invested in stocks that year, and we were also reducing stocks as that year went on, and so we 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 didn't suffer the thirty five our clients' portfolios didn't suffer the thirty five forty. 50% losses that the investors that we saw come to us in 2009 and 2010, and we asked them, you know, how did you do in 2008? And they said, well, I lost 40% or I lost more than 40%. We knew right then and there that they had way too much money in stocks, if not their entire portfolio in stocks, and it wasn't being managed properly, obviously. That's, that's a key. It wasn't actively managed. It was, an, again, that set it and forget it. Mentality that set and forget it portfolio. So, the the rule number one, this never lose money, and rule number two, never forget rule number one, is all fine and good, but it's not realistic because if you're going to have a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, cash, and all different types of asset classes, some of those asset classes aren't going to make money in a particular year. Some will. Uh, some will be more successful than others, 
But I think it's unrealistic to expect to never to lose money in, in investing. Because if, if rule number one, never lose money, that means you're never going to take risk. Which means you're going to be you're going to own CDs. Sorry to take your your thunder away there. You're going to own government bonds and hold them to maturity, or you're going to own CDs or cash, or you're going to have cash. Well, that I don't know too many investors that can reach their retirement goals uh, just by being in cash or government bonds. Well, and again, when you are invested and you're invested in the stock market, even the bond market. When you look at an unrealized gain and loss report, if you're showing some unrealized losses, those are paper losses. Those are losses that you have not taken. It's just on paper. It's just numbers. But that loss can be will become realized if you decide to sell out. And what happened to a lot of investors in 2008 is they watched the ride all the way down. And then they got to their maximum pain threshold, and what did they do? They sold. And for a lot of investors, after they did that sell and the selling they did, they have yet to get back in. That's why we continue to face the very thin market conditions, the whipsawing of the markets, because there's fewer and fewer participants, because they still have not gotten back in, because they're still licking and and taking care of their wounds from 2008, because they sold out and turned those unrealized losses to realized losses. But if they had a proper allocation and having their assets actively managed, they wouldn't have suffered as much pain and distress in their portfolio as we have seen doing our portfolio reviews and analysis of prospective clients. So, well, we're going to pause right there. We're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education and talking about an article titled The Best Investment Advice Ever. And, you know, again, the old Warren Buffett saying, you know, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. And us just kind of really discussing how that's kind of unrealistic. Um, Because like Jeff, like you said in the last segment, you're going to run into some type of losses, be it unrealized or realized losses, at some point in time in your investing career, unless you're invested in cash, which isn't an investment, CDs, or government bonds. You know, you have to take a certain level of risk. You have to assume a certain level of risk to have the potential for capital appreciation and growth of your assets to meet your retirement goals or for whatever goals that you're saving for. And, Dad, I know that you wanted to, the big dog wanted to eat a little bit and had something to add to, to what. We were just talking about. Well, I think I originally said this to you when you guys came into the business. Oh, you've been that, saying this f- that, as long that, as that, I can remember. These were basic rules of investing. I, I honestly think this is a little bit of a Will Rogers comment. I, I'm not so sure that Warren Buffett didn't steal this from from, from Will Rogers. We never met a man he didn't like. And and and, and what th- this means, you know, this is you know, this will be my 37th year starting my 38th year of being a portfolio manager, not counting the four years as a broker and one year in graduate school, so you can add all that up. But when I see this, what this really means to me 
is never lose big money. Never take big losses because you can't come back from them, whether it's financially or even psychologically. Hold on. Let me stop you right there. You just hit an important point. Psychologically. It's the psychological part part of this. Um, A lot of people get in investing. They get in the game, as Jim Cramer calls it. It's not a game. But they get in the game, and they have some moderate success, and then they start building their bet. They start pushing pushing the chips and further and as they and build their bet, they will get to the point where they lose. Now, to be successful, the one thing that I have learned in my 37-plus years, to be successful in investing, you have to invest on a regular basis. You just can't do it once in a while. And, if, and you need to take a number of positions because as you take positions, your batting average gets better. And to be successful, it isn't participating when the markets go up, as you said. It's not losing as much going down. So I believe my personal success as an investor has come with my ability to sell. I think I'm a lot better seller than I am a buyer. And and, and one thing that we say in this office, and this was definitely true in 2008, and of course, you know, this was prior to me joining the family's firm back. Jeff, I know you were here back during the dot-com bubble burst, bursting of the, of the dot-coms. Um, is that when, cert- when the markets and times just don't make sense, when what's up is down and what's down is up, when there's times where the market doesn't make sense, it never hurts to get more liquid and lay in the weeds. I know that's an old saying, Dad, that I've heard come out of your mouth for years, way before I even joined the family business, that... It's okay sometimes to raise liquidity and lay in the weeds until things get a little clearer. Now, it's important for all investors to understand you're never going to have 100% clarity. The waters are never going to be 100% clear. There's always going to be some level of cloudiness, but in situations like the dot-coms, like 2008, uh, even like how you know how the markets have, have started off the past couple of years, um, things get a little clouded and get a little bit more whipsaw and sometimes it's better to just kind of raise some cash and lay back until things start to pan out and make a little bit more sense because that's what we've been dealing with is some just counterintuitiveness that we've been experiencing in the market for the past couple of years. You know, and this led me to what we were talking about earlier, rule number one, never lose money, never forget rule number one this is rule number two. Well, if we were in an environment where government bonds was paying 9%, then a lot of people would be attracted to that. And and there and there's been times in my career when you could do that. And so there's a riskless return that would be that would be historically a good return. Unfortunately, that was occurring when inflation was at twelve, thirteen, fourteen. So you were losing, <laughs> losing to just inflation. like today. Mm-hmm. Just like today if you put too much in bonds versus what each individual person's inflation rate is. But what this really says is what y'all were talking about, is that if you're going to put all your eggs in one basket, if you're going to step out there and take that level of risk, then you are potentially putting yourself in a position to lose a substantial amount of your money and not have enough money to get back into the game, whatever game it is you're playing. 
but, so, but again, but again, we don't look at the market as no, a game. No, it's not and, a game. It's not a game at all. But if you are if you're a trader, I would say a trader views the market somewhat as a game. I'd agree. If you're an investor, it's a serious game, and so each individual has to decide what type of is he a trader. Am I an investor, or is this trading money? Is this investing money? So you, there's various pools that you could be doing, but one thing that you cannot do is you cannot sustain large losses and be a successful investor or trader. So whatever methods you use to reduce your losses, your risk, your risk, you're going to have to take that. And if you don't determine a system that allows you to do that, you are not going to be successful. In the long term, absolutely. And, and and see, that's the thing, Dad, is I think for some investors, maybe the traders that view the market as more of a game, more of action, more Vegas style, they have a couple of big wins where they knock it out of the park, and that boosts their confidence, that helps them boost their, their maybe their trading and investing ego psychologically. That's when they start pushing over pushing the chips further and further over the line and bigger amounts of chips, then they strike out. Then they take that loss and then their the psychological aspect of it might be a loss so bad that they say to heck with the stock market, I'm never getting involved in it again. And what we've always advocated and always tried to teach is about a proper balance, about diversification. As Jeff said, not putting all your eggs in one basket, spreading out that risk, or to use a technical term, spreading out your beta. But you can't just spread it out and forget it. You have to continue to actively manage it, actively monitor it. And if you don't, then you need to work with a firm that's going to do that. I I learned many years ago that I was not a successful trader. Trading was not something that I was good at. I was good at looking at a longer picture. It fit my personality better to be an investor, plus by taking a longer-term view, thinking in terms in the stock market of actually owning the company that I was buying, I found that that was more successful. And I learned that as a broker. I, I, I felt comfortable with that. What I didn't feel comfortable with was potential clients or new clients that had to have action. Because I don't necessarily think Wall Street is the best place to get action. I think you would be better off to go to Vegas because it doesn't require that much thinking if you need action. If you like to bet on football games. with If you need that fix. If you need that. And there are people that need that. But it, Wall Street can be a very dangerous place for people that need that type of fix. I have not run into that many successful people who have traded the market. I've run into many successful investors, very few successful traders. Well, and I think some some other points you made just a few minutes ago when we talk about risk capacity, about taking a big hit to your portfolio, and again, for continuing investor education, the older you get, the closer you get to your retirement, I guess, date and time as far as your age, your risk capacity gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, you know, and I've run into people who have have very large risk, you know, very small risk tolerance, their personal aversion to risk, but they have huge risk capacity. And when you run into that situation, it's really they have their money invested very lazily. It's, it's very lazy money. 
it's very four and five percent returns when they should be taking advantage of their age. So the younger you are, the greater risk capacity you have. And so you have to really marry risk tolerance and risk capacity into one. Um, and that's, again, something else that we, that we try to teach. So just understand, as you get older, your risk capacity gets smaller, and you have to have your portfolio managed and allocated in a way that reflects that risk capacity. What you see on CNBC, and we don't spend that much time watching any of the other channels, but what we see on CNBC is a parade of traders, Parade of people looking for action, daily action, weekly action, fast money, fast money. You know, everything is geared towards trading. trading. Mm-hmm. That is that segment of the market. That is not a segment that Davidson Capital Management has ever participated in, or would feel comfortable being in. And so, when we sit here and we talk about what we see. We don't necessarily feel that that type of program serves the public to the extent it could. That's right. Well, with that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So we'll take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing our investor education, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to cover here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing talking about the best investment advice ever article that comes from Market Watch and the Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, Dad, I, as you were talking in the last segment, you know, you mentioned Jim Cramer's name. And I know there's a segment on his show that he loves to do where people call in and say, am I diversified? And they give him five stock names. And he'll either anoint it as being you're diversified or you're not diversified. And when I watch that, I, to me, it seems like it's a disservice to the investing public because what he is basically um, validating is that it's okay to put 20% of your money in one particular stock position, to hold five individual stocks, and as long as those five individual stocks are in five different industry sectors, then you're okay, you're safe. And I think that is some of the most dangerous advice you could possibly give with with his type of background and acumen as a money manager, or as a hedge fund manager, I should say. Well, I, I, I don't agree with it. Dangerous. Uh, it's dangerous if you don't watch your eggs real close, if you only got five. Uh, <laughs> you're making, you're mean, making big bets in, in on the, five in the, companies. In the beginning, in the beginning when I created uh, the philosophy, uh, it became apparent to me that I didn't ever want more than – five percent in anything because i learned very quickly that if i bought five percent of your assets in one individual position yes if i bought 10 positions 3.5 of them were going to be losers but i loved all 10 Mm -hmm. and so when i got it out to 20 then i'm going to have six losers in normal markets Mm -hmm. and the key was having the six losers not be big enough losers to overset the profits 
that were in the other 14. Well, if I'm Jim Cramer and five is my diversification, I sure hope it's not my six losers because then my every five, those whole five positions would be losers. So to me, that was not enough positions to be diversified. That was very concentrated. And to be that concentrated, I don't want you to think you're diversified. You are not diversified with five positions. I mean, you might you are, be you might be diversified in the sense that you're in five different industry sectors, but you're making a very large bet on one company in that and, industrial sector. And I'll tell sector. you something else. If you limit yourself to that few of positions, you're either going to do extremely well versus the market, or you're going to do extremely badly. You're, you're not going to do average. You're either going to do real well or real bad. So it's either a home run or a strikeout. Now, you can't build a business on real bad. Mm-mm. Now, he was successful as a hedge fund manager because he was a trader. He was not an investor. Long term to him could have been one day. So when you hear him discuss that, I mean, he can't do a show and do Am I Diversified and have someone giving 20 positions. So some of his Am I Diversified is for TV. Well, it's for TV. He did it first on his radio show. Mm-hmm. That's where it started. He did that on the radio show. Now, he used to do radio and TV, and his radio show was really a whole lot better than the TV show. He didn't do all that screaming and jumping around like he does, and he would just talk, which I found better for investors to listen to. He was more investor-oriented as opposed to trading. So us saying that we believe you ought to have 20 positions gets back to this fact that we don't want more than 5% of any person's assets in one position. And we say that even in your company stock. If you're investing in your company stock, the stock where you work. Through your 401k. Yeah, we don't want more than 5% of your retirement money in the company stock. And I don't care how great the stock is. Because I happen to have seen times in my life where I worked for companies where people put a lot much, lot more in that, and then the companies went out of business. They not only lost their job, but they lost their retirement. And I, I can tell you that Jeff and I see this doing portfolio, doing portfolio reviews a lot with the petroleum industry employees, putting a lot of their retirement nest egg through 401ks in their company stock. And it's great to be supportive and it's great to love where you work and love who your employer is but you also have to kind of be a little selfish and think about your own retirement needs and your own retirement nest egg and not take too big of a bet because again harkens back to Enron it harkens back to WorldCom I mean it harkens back to those employees years ago who lost their nest egg because there was a lot of cheerleading from upper level management to buy keep keep funneling as much money in it as possible not saying that any companies in existence today are you know doing some of the fraudulent things that that these companies were doing but you always have to look out for kind of number one i mean you have to look out for number one when you're saving for retirement and you know another thing that i like to teach particularly when it comes to long-term investing and when it comes to performance I always like to use the analogy is you have to look at your investment returns like a batting average, like a batting average for a baseball player. You know, let's use Ted Williams or let's use Tony Gwynn. Uh, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. Let's use him as an example. You know, baseball players can get into the Hall of Fame 
with having a great lifetime batting average. But throughout their career, throughout the lifetime of them stepping up to the plate, they're going to have years where they underperform, where they don't have a good year at the, uh, up at the plate and they don't bat very well and they have low numbers. And then they're going to have other years where they have some average years. And then they're going to have some great years where they're knocking the cover off the ball. But what determines whether or not a baseball player gets into the Hall of Fame is their lifetime batting average, and it's the combination of all of those years and how they've performed. It's the same thought process and the same thought pattern you need to have when it comes to investing. You're going to have some below-average years. You're going to have some just average years, and you're going to have some great years. But the key is is to have more great years than bad and average years to get your portfolio to the Hall of Fame. Well, here's a little commercial coming in here. 25, this is our 26th year, and I was talking about I'm starting my 38th year as a manager. There was 12 years in there before Davidson Capital Management was formed in which I developed our philosophy. And I developed it managing money under three or four different corporate situations where I learned what was working and what wasn't working. And, you know, I learned on other people's money, so to speak. But I learned through those years that 100% equity made no sense. 100% bond made no sense. But the two could work together in combination. But what I found was there wasn't, there were fixed income people and there were stock people. There wasn't both. You didn't see the hybrid. You didn't see the manager that could do both sides. And so as I, as I developed our philosophy, I learned that it made more sense to be 10 years and under. It made more sense to stick with quality because by sticking with quality, you took risk out. By having stocks and bonds, you took risk out. And by doing that, you raised your batting average. You made the hole shallower when you were losing in stocks you were making in bonds. And so in the beginning, oh, yeah, everyone knows the most money you can make is to be 100% in the stock market. And it works really good until 1987 rolls around and it goes down 25% in one day. That doesn't work very well. That wipes out a number of years in about four hours. And you learn, hey, this doesn't make a lot of sense. And same thing in the late 90s. Oh, yeah, it was wonderful when the dot-coms were going crazy, but it didn't look real good late in 2000, 2001, and two. And, you know, staying the course was really great in January, February, March of 2008. It wasn't very great in November, December 2008. Or, or January, February. there might not be a course to <laughs> stay. Nine. You might not have had enough course to, to, to have a meal. Well, and, and again, that goes back to what we talked about a few segments ago about the psychological damage. And I know that we've talked on past shows here on Money Wise where we've talked about the psychological effects when you take these kind of losses and how, again, it, it creates that emotion and that fear. And when fear and emotion start combining into your portfolio, it keeps you sitting on the sidelines or it keeps you less invested in stocks to to really try to achieve and reach your goal for whatever you're saving for, and we're still seeing that today. I mean, again, we're seeing it today because we see the volatility. If there's more participants, more investors in this market, more mom-and-pop investors, we wouldn't see this extreme levels of volatility that we've been seeing. 
If we tax day trading, we wouldn't have this extreme volatility. Or if we tax high-frequency trading or got high-frequency trading under control. That's that's what I'm saying. That would take care of that problem. The problem is is that high-frequency trading is paying the note for the New York Stock Exchange. That's how they're making their money. They are never going to go against that. For something to change in that market, it's going to have to come from outside. It's not going to come from within Wall Street. Well, really what we have to have, Dad, is we have to have a nonprofit exchange. We have to well, have yeah. a nonprofit you exchange. You guys will see that. I'm, I'm convinced. You think Jeff and I will see I a nonprofit really think exchange you, I really think you in will our career. see that in your lifetime. You will see a national market. I mean, because that will take away the incentive for the high-frequency yes. trading I, I, and it'll be I welcome it'll be somewhere in the central part of the country, away from Wall Street. I, I welcome that day. I welcome the day to where we see a nonprofit exchange and maybe just a one central exchange. Let me correct you. Jeff may not see it. I think you will see it, Kyle. <laughs> well, we're not that far away in age, so uh, it's only about ten, less than ten, 10 years. years in there. All right. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-275. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So going back to this article, there was a couple of other statements, and these actually come from Ben Franklin. And and one of them is, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. And again, one of the reasons why we started this radio show back in late 2005 was because it gave us a podium, it gave us a platform to provide education because there's just uh, there's such a lack of education out there, and it seems like a lot of the education that is available has a particular bent. You know, it's trying to push you in a certain direction as an investor to buy an investment product that's being sold by the uh, financial legacy distribution system you know, as we like to call it, it always seems that education is kind of pushing you one direction or another, and we're trying to provide unbiased education. And as we always say to all investors is that, you know, there are so many tools available online for you to educate yourself. You know, when a, a pitch sounds too good to be true, it, it most likely is, and there's a lot of vehicles out there to help you to educate yourself. And so as Benjamin Franklin says, an investment in knowledge pays the most interest. You really have to you have to really let that kind of soak into you and utilize the tools available. You know, if you want to look up the broker that you're working with, go to brokercheck.com. You know, someone's pitching you an investment product. Before you sign on the line and which is dotted, look it up. Do some research. Educate yourself. You know, as we say, if you can't explain it to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old in two or three minutes and get them to understand that then you're probably, it's not a good idea to buy. Um, Another statement is beware of expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. And boy, how many times have we seen that, Jeff? You know, expenses is 
one thing that is easiest to control if you understand that you're getting charged more more fees than than you think you are to begin with. And I see this a lot with we see this a lot with annuities. Um, annuities, I think, are probably one of the biggest Drain. challenges. I would say drains on, know, on the, assets. The biggest challenges to a portfolio being successful is is owning an annuity inside that portfolio, because you're you're basically guaranteeing that you will never even equal a market average performance. Because the fees and expenses built into the, the, the annuity itself, even if it has the best possible investment options, and trust me, the average annuity does not have the best, the best uh, investment choices possible. When you add up average investment choices with high expenses, you're guaranteed to be below average consistently year after year after year after year. And they're still sold. They're they're still successfully selling them to investors every single day. And we've in the ten years that we've done this show, we've almost made this our personal uh, mission. Mission. There you go. <laughs> it's a personal Cru- mission. To, to, crusade. To, yeah, I like that. To steer crusade. people away from these types of investments. Now, there's also many other violators. You know, av- uh, uh, the the average loaded mutual fund carries uh, an initial sales charge that's equal to multiple years of professional full-time investment management just to buy into the mutual fund itself. They, you know, a minimum, you know, anywhere from 2 to 3% to as almost as much as 6% uh, is very common in an upfront sales charge. Another thing is buying stocks. You know, just buying stocks through a full service broker. And you're you're the average ticket price that I see from an from a full service broker is about two percent of the gross purchase. And that is outrageous. So, you know, for five thousand dollar purchase, you're paying two hundred and fifty dollars in transaction costs. I mean that's 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 a that's so twenty uh, times egregious. more. That's twenty times more you'd pay at a at a, at a discount brokerage firm. Yes, well, you better well, be getting good advice if well, you're paying that kind of fee. Well, well, now, if that broker is giving you good advice and covers the two percent, that's one thing. But you and I both know, unfortunately, the vast majority of them do not. Well, the one thing again, talking about fees and and what I I like to to do for any individual investor out there is to understand the two big types of fees. You have your hard dollar fees and your soft dollar fees. Your hard dollar fees are your upfront commissions. You know, those are the commissions that you see when you buy that mutual fund or you buy that stock and you pay that commission and you see it come right off the right off the top. You see that difference in what you're investing and what you actually paid and what was actually invested. That's a hard dollar cost. But where annuities, where non-traded real estate investment trusts uh, where even mutual funds, once you get past that initial sales fee, really get their investors or get their clients is on the soft dollar side. Those are the fees that are accrued daily and taken out daily that you never see. When you get your statement from your, annu- from your annuity, 
that's net of those soft dollar fees. When you get a statement about your stocks or your individual mutual funds, it's net of those soft dollar fees. Those are the fees that you don't see. Those are the fees that you also need to be asking about. And if you're sitting down and someone's pitching you an annuity and you ask them, well, what are the soft dollar charges, they're not going to know what to do. They're not going to know what to do, and they're going to start trying to provide you with the half-truths of what you're actually well, they're, spending. Well, they're going to focus on these guaranteed returns. The G word. Yeah, the, yeah they're going to focus on the G word. Which, again, is not a guarantee. It's just a promise, and it's only as good as the company providing the promise. They're going to say, don't you want 5% a year guaranteed income for the rest of your life? Don't you want that, Mr. or Mrs. Customer? And it's not quite that simple. Nope. And what they're talking about is the published interest rate, which changes monthly. It's just that hook to get you to sign on that line, and which is dotted to get you into that long surrender charge penalty period so they can lock your assets up. So you have to understand the difference between hard dollar costs and soft dollar costs. And soft dollar costs are in the prospectus. Soft dollar costs are in the information, but you have to know what you're looking for and you have to dig deeper, as we've always said from day one on this program. And to really summarize this hour is you have to dig deeper well, and use the tools available to educate yourself before yeah, number, you make that investment Number one, decision. be diversified. Number two, know what you own. Do the research. Dig deeper, as you say. And number three, have a, always have a mind on what it's costing. That's right. Okay, and with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.